On this week's episode of Game Changers, we're giving you a COVID update with Caitlin Jetalina. Caitlin delivers a newsletter read by over 160 million people, so you may already know her as your local epidemiologist. We're excited to share her insights with you today on the state of the COVID pandemic and the bivalent vaccine. If you don't follow her on Substack, you should. Check out the link in the show notes. Hello and welcome to another episode of uh, the Game Changers podcast. Uh, I am not your host, uh, Jeff Wall. I'm actually the, the producer, Jake Galdo. Uh, we actually have Jeff on assignment right now, and so I'm kind of pitch hitting as we have a guest with us today that's uh, really exciting and a really cool conversation. So through the years of the podcast, we've talked a lot about COVID, and it's mostly been Jeff and I bemoaning the situation, him from the perspective of a hospital inpatient pharmacist, me looking at it from a community perspective. So I'm really excited to, to be joined by our guest, Caitlin Jitalina, uh today, because she is a, an epidemiologist. She has a wonderful uh, substack that goes out that kind of just talks about the status of epidemiology in the U.S., a lot of it is focused on COVID, but she's touched upon monkeypox and some other areas as well. Uh, and so we're just really, really fortunate for her to, to be here. So, uh, Caitlin, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. Um, so I know a little bit about you because I, I read your, your newsletter and kind of have paid attention and, and enjoy just kind of chatting with you. But could you help the audience understand a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am an epidemiologist. Um, I was formally trained in infectious diseases, worked at the WHO, uh, but started actually before the pandemic focusing more on violence epidemiology. So applying infectious disease models to violence like mass shootings. Um, But the pandemic hit and all of us epidemiologists were thrown in this all hands on deck response. And One major gap that I saw during the pandemic was this gap of translation or scientific communication to the layman. And so I started this newsletter just to faculty, students, and staff. And I think there's like 30 people in my first email in March of 2020. And uh, since it's reached about 160 million uh, eyes. And so it's grown a substantial amount um, and it's been a wild ride. Uh, And so I do that in my free time. Uh, During the day I'm in health policy and then I put my girls to bed at night and then I write this newsletter and it's just been the jam for the past 30 months. (laughs) That's awesome and that's really exciting. And, And for all of the readers out there, we are all very appreciative of the work that you do in those late nights. Uh, Kayla and I were, were kind of talking about being parents earlier, and I was I was telling her how excited I was. I was actually sleeping now, and now she's telling us that she's foregone this this mythical thing that is sleep uh, to write this newsletter for everybody. So I hope we are all very appreciative uh, for the work that she puts in. So, you know, we were really going to focus in on COVID boosters and talk about the vaccines and what's going on with that. Uh, but your most recent uh, newsletter was almost like a, a call to arms, and it was uh, from someone down here in the South in Alabama, uh, I read it as, we're still dying, y'all. And I know that that's not what you essentially said in your, your newsletter, but it was a, a kind of like, hey, this is still an issue. So, so let's kind of pause before we talk about boosters and, and like, is COVID still a thing, Caitlin? Like, what's going on? Really weird phase of a pandemic and that we're not in this full-blown emergency mode, right? Our ICUs aren't overwhelmed right now. We're doing okay. 
but we're also not in this endemic state. And so we're in this very weird phase in which I think a lot of people, including epidemiologists, don't know what to do. Um, and it's really confusing. And a lot of people have forgotten about COVID-19. Um, but like you said, and like I said earlier this week in my newsletter, there's still an unacceptable amount of people dying right now. Um, it's about 400 people a day in August. So last month, we lost about 14,000 Americans. And so COVID-19 is still the third leading cause of death in the United States. And this is preventable. This is largely vaccine preventable. Um, and so we still have a major problem here in the United States. I will say other countries don't necessarily have this problem. For example, um, excess deaths in the UK are not too high right now. Um, and so we have a problem and we cannot accept this reality and we don't have to accept it. Uh, but right now, consciously or unconsciously, us as Americans are making the decision of where COVID-19 lays in this repertoire of threats going forward. And my biggest push with that newsletter post was that we can do better and we should do better. Um, and so we'll see, you know, it's not up to the science, it's more cultural, it's more up to our behaviors as Americans to see where we're going to accept this. Which is what's so scary about it, you know, because we're, <laughs> we're in this opportunity where like, it really is scary. You know, please, please fact check me on some of the numbers. But I mean, at this point, we're three years into the pandemic. We have 2020, we have 2021, and we have 2022. And I feel like what's happening is we are comparing ourselves to maybe the previous year. And it's almost like overinflating the sense of accomplishment. Like, oh, last year, 500 people were dying a day. Today, it's only 400. Win for us. You know, is that kind of the, the, the cultural vibe that you see when we look at the, the presentation of this data in the lay media? Yeah, I think that's right. But it's also, I mean, to you and me and us scientifically kind of driven folks, it's it's easy to look at those numbers and being like, you know, you guys, <laughs> we have vaccines, we have boosters. Why is this still happening? But a lot of people are very tired and this pandemic fatigue is real. And uh, we are using masks less and less. We have less mandates on transportation. And so we're peeling away these layers more and more to become almost completely reliable on vaccines. And while vaccines are amazing, they've saved 2 million lives in the United States during this pandemic, they're not perfect. And we're seeing that in the data right now and um, getting that message through to very tired, very confused and very just over it people, and I don't blame them, um, is a tough communication challenge right now. I think that's fair. And then I think, you know, what we've also seen is just the conflicting messages around vaccines specifically of when to get vaccinated or who is eligible to get vaccinated. You know, I was talking to, to a friend recently and she's about to, to go international and she had COVID three, four weeks ago. 
And so we were visiting and I was like, hey, we just got our bivalent booster. I can test before you visit. Like we still kind of pay attention to those things even when we go, you know, an hour or two away. And she said, no, we're all good. Like we're okay. Plus I just had COVID. And so then we were talking and it's like, well, are you going to get your, your booster? And she said, well, I'm not, I'm not eligible yet. You know, I still have to wait at least 90 days after. It's like, that was previous recommendations. You're totally eligible. You should do it this week before going, going overseas. And so I feel like there's so much for us to overcome with the changing recommendations to say, this is the newest thing. And this is what we should be doing now. You know, how do we disseminate that, not just to the lay public, but also healthcare providers, to your point, are tired of doing continuing education on COVID. Yeah, I think it's it's a major theme throughout the pandemic, honestly, is this confusing messaging, this infodemic of information. Um, and uh, a lot of people throw up their hands in the air and just give up. And again, I don't blame them for that. I think that this messaging has, uh, has to... I don't know. I mean, it, it trickle from the top down. I am continue to be amazed at the lack of clear communication from CDC, from FDA, and consistent and quick and credible information. Um, that's crisis communication one on one. But we need to get ahead of it. And uh, I mean, one of the biggest mistakes I think we've had last year this time was the may versus the should get a COVID vaccine. It should always be should. It should be this this fall as well. And uh, that's that's only muddling the message. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of interesting when when I was able to get my uh, bivalent booster, you know, like I work in a pharmacy, I got a text saying, hey, we just got it in stock. I was like, cool. It's not even like loaded into the inventory. And I'm like walking back. Uh, behind the counter, grabbing it out of the freezer and starting to warm it up, which is not, you know, how you're supposed to do it, but totally did it that way uh, to get me and my wife our, our boosters. And dad was in the car with my kid. I was like, dad, do you want your booster? And he's like, no, I'll wait. I'm like, what are you going to wait for? And he's like, I'm going to wait. I'm like, but for what? And he couldn't really tell me. And I think that that's part of what we see here. And and then, you know, I think it's the 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 dad-son relationship. I said, get it. And he said, let me go check with my doctor. Um fair. But I also know that he was going to go to his, his doctor in like two weeks. So I feel like, hey, we're going to get it happening in the near future. So I'm okay with that. But I can see the challenges that we have to face when a lot of people are just like, I, I just did that. I don't want to do it again. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to keep up with. Um, it's a lot. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of people trying to do what's best for them. Um, and unfortunately, it depends how that information reaches them. And to me, that's one of the biggest lessons we need to learn during this pandemic is how to fix that. I think so. And I, so, so let's start to, to do that. Let's jump into <laughs> the, the COVID booster arena and let's help kind of just distill down the information. What is going on? What do people need to do? So, so big picture, vaccination, we know that that's a should and not a may. You've helped me uh, solidify that one. So everyone should be doing this. And it's all the way down to six months. Like we have stuff approved or authorized rather in some, some cases for pretty much the entire U.S. Uh, so now it's time to start to use it. So let's focus specifically on the bivalent booster because that's the newest thing. That's the thing that just happened. So what is a bivalent booster and why does it matter? Yeah, so the bivalent booster, uh, it means it has a vaccine formula that covers two variants. 
the original Wuhan virus, the original virus, and then half of the vaccine formula targets the Omicron and specifically BA5 Omicron. And both Pfizer and Moderna have these bivalent vaccines authorized. They're slightly different, different um, uh, uh, dosages of RNA, different age, but essentially the same, same sort of formula. Um, why do we need bivalent vaccines? I, you know, this is one of the biggest debates scientifically right now. Um, but we hope that this updated booster will really provide three main things. One is just higher protection, that this booster is going to increase neutralizing antibodies. And honestly, any booster would. And this will this naturally wanes over time, but this really will help us prevent infection and transmission. Uh, in temporarily in the you know first couple of X months. We're also hoping that a bivalent booster will provide longer protection. So right now our boosters last about against infection about four months. We think that though a bivalent will last longer. We're seeing from Moderna right now that their bivalent beta vaccine that they've been testing, we thought we needed that before Omicron came on scene, has lasted at least six months, if not longer. And that's because a bivalent vaccine really boosts our second line of defense, which is called B cells. And then the third reason a bivalent vaccine we're hopeful for is for broader protection. That will increase the diversity of our protection, um, that our antibodies will be able to see more virus parts and attach more strongly compared to antibodies that we have right now. Um, unfortunately, we don't know if all three of these things are happening because this is the first time we have proactively tried to anticipate what is coming this winter. Um, we've consistently played this reactive game, uh, which is obviously not working. And so we're trying to apply the flu vaccine model to SARS-CoV-2 and it's to be determined if that's going to work or not this winter. Um, but you know, all of the data we're seeing so far shows that bivalent will be as good as our last booster, if not better. Um, how much better it will be is the billion dollar question right now. Which makes sense. And, you know, what I what I love is when you said SARS-CoV-2 to be determined, I just really appreciate that you didn't say TBD right there because we have so many acronyms that would have been like a new new strain and we would have been really, really confused. Um, and, and I think it's wonderful that you made the parallel to what's going on or the analogy of what's going on with influenza. And I think it's really important to note that influenza vaccines um, are like quad vaccines. So they have four strains in those vaccines. So when we hear bivalent, this isn't really novel, right? It's not crazy from a drug delivery clinical perspective. This is catching us up to where we see flu influenza vaccinations are currently where they're giving four different strains in one shot to help provide protection for everything that's circulating. And those are always uh, predictive as well, right? We're doing it in the, in the now for what might happen in the, in the future. So I think that that's a really important nuance that we need to consider is that there's a lot of parallel between what we see with, with flu and, and SARS-CoV-2. Uh, as, as a clinician, I think it's important to note that get this uh, vaccines and you can get them at the same time. So if you get a COVID booster, you can get your influenza booster on the same day at the same time. You can probably do it in the same arm, but honestly, I'd, I'd probably recommend one in each arm just for ease of, of administration. 
Um, and I actually have a friend I was texting earlier today. He's at a, a flu COVID clinic. So a lot of pharmacies are now offering dual clinics at the same time offsite of pharmacies to help support this kind of initiative, which I think is, is kind of cool. Can you, can you help us better differentiate the difference between the Moderna booster and the Pfizer booster? Is there a major difference? I know operationally I have some, some things that I'd like to share, but from your perspective, what do you see um, as those two products? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before I do that, I just wanted to highlight that there is a lot, a lot of similarities between our COVID-19 um, protocol and flu. But I will also say that um, there's a lot of not, uh, un, what is it, unsimilarities? There's a lot of um, dissimilarities as well. Um, SARS-CoV-2 is mutating four times faster than the flu right now. And so uh, we're hopeful we can stay ahead of that. Uh, we don't know if this process will work like as well as it does with the flu though, just because of that reason. Um, we also don't know where SARS-CoV-2 is mutating. Uh, the flu mutates in this very clear ladder-like pattern where we can anticipate where it's going next. SARS-CoV-2 is not doing that yet. We anticipate it will eventually, but it's kind of mutating so randomly because it's so new right now. So it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to see if we can apply this flu model to SARS-CoV-2. We're hopeful, but it, there's no promises. But going into these differences of these boosters. So the Pfizer bivalent booster is 30 microgram vaccine. And so this is the same dosage as that original series. Um, and it's for those 12 years and older. Uh, we do know that Pfizer is working on authorization for a booster six months and older for bivalent. Um, and we should expect that this, this fall. That's just not authorized yet. The Moderna bivalent booster is 50 microgram vaccine. So this is the same dosage as the other Moderna booster and half of the dosage of the original Moderna series, which was a 100 microgram vaccine. And Moderna's sought approval for those ages 18 and older. And really, you know, one of the biggest questions I get is, is it worth mixing? So if you've had a primary Moderna shot, is it worth getting the Pfizer shot? And, you know, there are, there's some data, I will say it's weak on the uh, marginal benefit of mixing. But honestly, my official recommendation is just get the vaccine that's most easily accessible to you. So if your local CVS is just doing Moderna, just go for that one. Um, I think that there is one case in which uh, the, the vaccine manufacturer matters, and that's for males under the age of 30, because their risk of myocarditis is higher. Um, even with the booster, it is a little higher than normal. And so in that case, I, I recommend going for a Pfizer because of that less RNA, um, which will theoretically decrease the risk of myocarditis. Make sure your pharmacy is staffed up to offer vaccines. If your pharmacists and technicians need immunization administration training, be sure to check out the CE Impact virtual training course. Our training offers virtual classes several times a month, so it's easy to fit into your busy pharmacy schedule. No travel required. Check out the show notes for more details along with a discount code. That was probably more information than you wanted. <laughs>
No, no, no. It was perfect. And I actually, I'm going to dig deeper into it because I think it's really important, specifically around Moderna. Because when you were talking about the dose, you talked about micrograms, which is 100% correct. That's how we look at it. However, from a pharmacy world, from someone that's administering vaccines, I think about it as a milliliter type unit. The concentration is different. And I cannot emphasize that enough. The concentration is different. So with our primary series, we were going for a 100 microgram dose administered as 0.5 mils. With the original booster, which was of the primary strain, we wanted a 50 microgram dose. So we gave 0.25 mils. With our new bivalent booster, we want a 50 microgram dose. Catching it. It's wonky, but we're there. So bivalent booster, 50 microgram dose at a concentration or volume of 0.5 mils. So what Moderna did was in the new bivalent booster, they have effectively diluted the vaccine to the point that we can administer 0.5 mils and get a 50 microgram dose. Again, super important. Previous boosters with Moderna was a dose of 0.25 mils. New bivalent booster is a booster of 0.5 mls. This is super confusing because the box for the bivalent Moderna booster says booster dose is 0.5 mils or 0.25 mils. And then it has no package insert and no data within that box. So if you just look at the package, you go, I don't know what to give. So again, emphasizing that the 18 and older bivalent Moderna booster is a 0.5 ml shot of 50 micrograms of RNA. Also, fun fact, Pfizer doesn't have labeling differences for like visual cues like they did with all the other tops with their booster. So I would recommend everybody put it on a different shelf, put stickers on it. And I think uh, operationally, the other big change that we need to emphasize is that we no longer boost with the monovalent primary series. We give a primary series monovalent vaccine. We boost with only bivalent product. I'm missing anything from an epidemiology perspective on all those fun nuances from that, that boots on the ground. How am I going to make a mistake, essentially, uh, when delivering care? No, yeah, it sounds great. And um, it sounds very confusing. So I could see mistakes happening. So I appreciate that clarity, honestly. Yeah, of course. So again, I think we've kind of covered the, the rigmarole of the new bivalent, bivalent booster, how they're out there. It's, it's helping out. Um, so just as we kind of wrap up this episode and, and think about the new status quo of COVID, you know, can you talk to me a little bit about kids? We both mentioned on the podcast we have we have kids. Uh, I'm in Alabama. The six month to four year age range of vaccine is a whopping one percent, uh, which is uh, not that far off from the national average of four uh, percent. That data is from a couple months ago, so I might be a little off on it. It might be updated since then. Hopefully, it is. Uh, but Kaylin, like, how do how do we just make vaccine? Uh, how do we overcome hesitancy? How do we help vaccinate all these all these folks? It's going to take time. Um, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of grassroots conversations, even just between pharmacists and parents that are coming in for their bivalent vaccine, for example. I think that's the most interesting to me is that 
you know, 70% of American adults are vaccinated, but yet 1% of their kids are vaccinated. And so there's a disconnect there, right? And figuring out what that disconnect is on a patient level takes a lot of time, but that's where we're at. I think we're far beyond um, billboards and mass vaccination sites. This is gonna take time. It's gonna take a lot of conversations. Um, I don't know, you know, I think it'll be interesting what happens this fall. So the, the under five rollout was during summer. And so kids weren't going to school, et cetera. Um, th this age group typically has the highest rate for the flu vaccine. So I'm very curious once the flu vaccine is rolled out too, can that be an, a great opportunity to sign them up for their COVID-19 vaccine at the same time? Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but very disappointing, but I will say I'm not surprised. Um, and yeah, as a parent with two under five, both of them were vaccinated within the first week it was available. Um, I, I, I couldn't wait to get them more protection. Yeah, we, we got vaccinated as well. And as I mentioned on a previous uh, podcast, it was, uh, it was a journey for us. I ended up calling like the chief nursing officer for our state's public health department in arguments because I had public health departments tell me that if I got my daughter vaccinated, she was going to die. Uh, so there was a lot of issues that we faced. And then there was just availability issues. Apparently, our pediatrician, who's linked to a larger, larger network with a hospital, failed to order vaccine. And no one could give me rhyme or reason when it was getting in stock. So it was such an ordeal. And it was just crazy that we know vaccine hesitancy exists. We need to remove as many barriers as possible. And it's just like there are so many artificial barriers that we faced as parents that it was really unheard of. Um, so I think to your point, when we vaccinate flu, we have that opportunity to vaccinate COVID. I think if anyone from uh, ACIP or CDC is listening, update your schedule. Put COVID vaccine on that schedule. You know, Unfortunately, our practice, they've been really amendable to, to my OCD-ness. Um, they actually were giving vaccines inappropriately on a schedule. So they were not following ACIP recommendations. Uh, I pointed out those issues. Our daughter is on ACIP recommendations, and now the practice is changing their protocol. Uh, but what allowed me to do that was I was able to pull up ACIP guidelines and say, here's the picture, this is what you're offering, and it's not, not aligned. And that made the practice change. So I think that there would be a lot of power if we start to see where the COVID vaccine is added to these routine recommendations and these schedules to emphasize the role that this has in combating the, uh, the epidemic. Absolutely. And I, I actually uh, experienced some really big challenges with just trying to figure out where to get my girls vaccinated, um, specifically because I have an under three-year-old. Uh, over three-year-olds can be at the pharmacies, right? But it's my understanding under three has to be at a pediatrician's office, but no pediatricians were getting the vaccine. And so I'm not going to go to two separate places for my girls or two separate days to get then have to go back. And so it did. It took a lot of time, actually, for me to figure out where to go. And I'm very in tune with all this. I couldn't imagine how frustrating that is for someone that's not, but just trying to do the best that they can. Um, and then, like you also said, it's these conversations with trusted messengers. One of the biggest concerns I have is that um, in a survey of parents, they 40% uh, par of parents 
said they had the conversation with their pediatrician and pediatrician said not for them to not get the COVID-19 vaccine. And that tells me right there, that's why we have low vaccination rates. Um, and so we really need to get information, not only to parents, but those trusted messengers like pediatricians as well. Um, and that's gonna take time too. So we'll see, I'm hopeful it will increase. It takes time to um, create vaccine confidence, uh, but it, I hope it happens sooner rather than later, that's for sure. I agree, and I think we'll get there. And to your point, it just takes time. And, and hopefully, um, maybe from a policy level, we'll start to see where, where some of these vaccines are, are mandated, like we have with other vaccines when we hit major milestones. And I think that that will help adoption. I mean, the policy clearly shows that when that happens, that does. I know people don't like the idea of vaccine mandates, but we've been doing it for decades in school systems. Uh, so what's just one more, one more vaccine to that? Um, Kaylin, I think we're, we're almost out of time. I appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. Any last uh, thoughts or messages you wanna share with everyone? I don't think so. I think that um, we're all very tired. Pharmacists especially are on the front line. Um, every pandemic ends and this pandemic will end too. We're not there yet, but I think the end is in sight. So I, I, I like to end with that glimmer of hope uh, because I certainly could, could use it these days. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you again so much for everything that you do and the messages you share and the people that you educate. Um, that really helps helps make our lives in pharmacies easier because we have a well-informed public that's coming in asking for help uh, and they have a trusted guide in you. So thank you for everything that you do and for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Don't forget to claim CE for this episode. Members, you always get CE for Game Changers. The link to claim credit is in the show notes. And for everyone else, you can get CE for today's episode by downloading the CE Impact app. Check out the free section to claim credit for this podcast.